As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. Um, as I keep saying, the soon-to-be multi-award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. Uh, joining me, genial host Danny Kelly of The Athletic's Charlie Ecrochet and James Moore. On today's episode, we'll discuss that City game, the return of James Madison, the Spurs' transfer window, um, which is narrowing by the second, and the game against Brentford. Now a very critical game against Brentford on Wednesday. Thank you so much to everybody who's voted for us so far at the Sports Podcast Awards. You can go to at the FTL Podcast on Twitter or to my Twitter feed at Danny Kelly Words and see how to vote. You've still got time to make a difference. Please do that. Which takes us to the game against Manchester City in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Normally I would just throw this over to Charlie and James, but I hope you'll indulge me. Well, I'll just talk a little bit about, and we'll do more about this in the course of the, this podcast, how we as individuals experience the game. Because when the current thing about how long Spurs have been without winning a trophy started up um, as a, you know, a, a stick with which to poke Spurs fans, I was very buoyant about this. And I used to say, I, of course, saw them winning loads of trophies in the 70s and the 80s. And what I really felt sorry for were the young Spurs fans, people who were sort of, you know, teenage age and just above who were going along and had never seen them win anything. Or maybe 2008 was you know, just over their time horizon. I have to say, in the last two years, things have changed. Maybe it's because I'm now entitled to a bus pass, but I have to be honest, haven't I, don't I, um, that, you know, in terms of life's journey, I am now a little bit nearer, perhaps a, a lot nearer, to the chequered flag than I am to the starting pistol. And it started to bother me now. And honestly, at the end of the game on Friday, I sunk down in the chair and I thought, Am I ever going to see this team win a trophy? Well, uh, what a light start. Absolutely. But that's the truth, James. That's what I felt. Hey, come on, keep it keep it light. Monday morning, keep it light. Okay, that's enough about that's enough of an old man um railing at the inevitable passing of time. Um what do we make of the actual game? James, I want to start with you. Uh, hopefully a much lighter touch than that. What did you make of the game? <laughs> yeah, as uh, as is traditional. 
I found it incredibly frustrating, and I don't think Spurs played badly. I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone would say Spurs played badly, but clearly, the players that were missing were the players that would have made the biggest difference in that game. I think we've seen. I think we said this last week. Son has made such a huge difference in the games against Manchester City. Like more than Kane did in that time period, he was the one that really stung them. He is the one that is the most deadly on the counter-attack. You know, we've seen that even this season in a game up there, in the, in the league game up there. Uh, and Saar as well, I think, in midfield, just in terms of like progressing the ball up the pitch, and that was clearly the big issue. I don't think Spurs, for the most part, looked uncomfortable with the ball playing out of the back, bar one or two kind of wobbles at the end. But clearly they had a problem getting the ball from the back four to the massive... The acres of space in behind Manchester City's defence, for whatever reason, they, they couldn't get the ball up the pitch. And I suspect had Saab been there, maybe the story would have been slightly different. So, yeah, it was frustrating. And I, I you know, and the be-all and end-all, as you say, Danny, is that they're out of the FA Cup and in all probability they're not going to win a trophy this season. But I, I think if, we're, if we zoom out slightly and look at the slightly broader picture, in terms of performance of out-key players, again, against the best team in Europe, the best team in the world relatively good I mean they really didn't look massively uncomfortable and I know kind of possession will be with Manchester City I assume I've not looked at it Charlie I'm sure will have yeah it was yeah and obviously XG and chances and shots and shots on target and whatever else it it wasn't great it wasn't great and it did really highlight the things that are missing both in terms of players from the current squad that are missing and players they need to sign we're kind of working the basis that's not going to happen in the next three days or Charlie will talk about the transfer window a bit later but certainly in the summer they do need to address some of those problems James the, the after the game you um, it said something in the WhatsApp group I, did, I genuinely didn't understand I couldn't understand what your oh, view about Timo Werner was oh yeah great thank you uh, I, I was massively unimpressed but it does seem from having uh, oh. kind of read back people's tweets and uh, evidently uh, Ali McCoy's praise on the television during the game that I'm very much in the minority here but yeah I, I wasn't especially impressed and I do I mean look I mean if we're being completely frank that front three of Werner Johnson Richarlison I, I would say is not a sort of top four top five front three if we're being honest can I can I just say on Werner I do I do think like you know he my view anyway, and I think most people's views, were that he was signed to raise Tottenham's floor. He was someone who comes in that means they're not bringing Brian Hill on or, you know, Brian Hill's not their plan B. It's Timo Werner who's way better. I don't think Werner... I thought Werner, he was okay. He was in, he, he made the only chance Spurs had and he did it very well. You know, beat a man and played a pretty smart pass in behind. Uh, yeah, I don't think, you know, th- this isn't where you judge Timo Werner. I don't think many people when they signed him thought, oh, great, Werner's in. He's going to destroy Kyle Walker and City. They thought he's going to come in and be a useful option. And I don't think anything I saw on Friday changes my view that he will be that useful option and that he will, if he can do as he's done so far and as he did for Chelsea and get a goal or an assist every other game, then he'll have been he'll have done exactly what he was signed for. Uh, I, thought, I think Johnson, uh, it was another... It was kind of more of the same from Brennan Johnson. I think he's desperately in need of a rest. Um, we talked about this before. He's pl- he's been played way more than I think Spurs would have wanted. Um, and they missed Son. Of course they did. He's by far their best player. And and also what it did, though, made me think was that, you know, Kane went in the summer. They had scored every game up until yesterday without him. Scored in every game under Postacoglu, which is an amazing achievement, especially given all the injuries, etc. they've had. Um but yeah, they they did look 
that I agree with. I don't think anyone would argue that that front three is not at the level that they need to be at, want to be at. But hopefully Son will be back fairly soon. I think everyone will be watching uh, South Korea's <laughs> game on Tuesday against Saudi Arabia. Desperately we all, we all love Saudi, Saudi really. Win. We're oh, already yeah. joking. Yeah, exactly. joking take it all back, I've got Saudi. my Newcastle shirt and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charlie, um, what did you make of the... I mean, those are the individual nuts and bolts. What did you make of the game overall? Uh, did you make you question your own mortality as well? <laughs> Not quite, but I was... Um, it was the most excited I've been about a game for ages. I just, it was one of those where you know you just think two really good attacking teams it's going to be great and then you start watching it and you think oh yeah what City do incredibly well is completely suffocate their opponents and actually their games aren't always thrilling because they're so good and they're so good at controlling games so that whenever Spurs did try and build attacks you've got a Rodri or a Diaz stepping out of defence stepping in and winning the ball Carl Walker I thought was brilliant again and you know his ability to to play that role is just incredible um so yeah I found I, I found it a bit flat I mean it was definitely the least entertaining and enjoyable game just as a spectacle I think since Postacoglu took over um and I and I agree with James I think it is a shake when you play City all you want it's like when you take you know the sort of playground bully at least you want to be there with like as much backup as possible and, you know, feeling 100% to try and take on this big, nasty, horrible bully when you're sort of underpowered is frustrating. And I and I do think Hoybier is interesting because as ever, his performance um, was divisive to some extent, I guess. I think a, a lot of people thought he was great and there was the kind of, you know, tub thumping moment in the second half when it looked like maybe Spurs were getting into the game and he kind of revved the crowd up and and he did well in part. But ultimately, he also gave away two very good chances late on. One with a attempted clearance that he got all wrong because he panicked a little bit. And the other when he received the ball deep in that Basuma role and he got dispossessed. And it kind of encapsulated Hoybier under Postacoglu. He's still putting in a massive shift. I don't think anyone can question his work rate or commitment and there are some good things there. But especially in a game like this, what Basuma or Hoybe or whoever's playing that sixth role is asked to do is very, very, very hard. And it just takes one moment where you get it slightly wrong and you're in your own box and suddenly you've got Kevin De Bruyne shooting at goal. Thankfully for Hoybe, he missed it. Uh, but that's that's the level that's being asked of him and he's not quite there. Playing the way we do wasn't getting anywhere against Manchester City. A combination of their brilliance and, of course, the referee's continued tolerance of their tactical fouling which is just the most yeah, maddening thing yeah, in the world. I mean was... Rodri how he is Teflon how he gets away with what he does yeah there were so many players I think could have been booked quite early in the game that there weren't and then it just gives them kind of license to do it at least one more time completely and that's it's so frustrating because that's all you can do against City like you beat the, you beat their press like they gamble and if they if there's no deterrence then because they can get away with just fouling you afterwards then what can you do? It's so frustrating and it's such a feel, having a feel for the game. I know this is like, oh, they've never played the game, but it is about having a feel for the game. Those are the things that just drive you mad when you're playing or as a fact when you, it's so obvious what they're doing. But you can say, also you see, and you know, this was Spurs on Friday night, but obviously it happens to other teams all the time. And, and I think this has happened to teams like Arsenal, Liverpool in games against Manchester City where you can just tell the opposition is getting massively frustrated by that. And that's when things boil over. And you did, there were moments in the second half, and I'm not talking about the Hoiberg stuff, but like where, where players kind of it looked like they were losing their heads a little bit on that on that basis. 
Can we can we talk about uh, the, the last foul not punished that Manchester City made in the game? Please do. I, I mean, I've watched a lot of football in the last thirty years, and I think even in the mid nineties, late nineties, mid nineties, that obstruction, we'll call it, on Vicario in the eighty eighth minute or wherever it was, would have been punished with a free kick to the defending team. I'm really, I'm really, really surprised. And to be fair, we did see it the other week in the in the Luton Burnley game, a big game, a massive game at the bottom of the Premier League, where Burnley were winning one 0 and right at the end of the game, a very similar thing happens. The Luton centre forward steps in the way of the goalkeeper, moves his body shape to to step in the way of the goalkeeper. He's not just stood there in his way; he moves into his way. He turns his body to be in his way, and the same thing happened at that set piece at the end of the game on Friday night, where was it Diaz? It was Diaz, wasn't it? has basically kind of moved his whole body and turned his whole body to get into Vicario's way when he's trying to compete for the ball. I mean, I'm I'm amazed that's not been given as a foul. And it is, uh, it is that classic thing in the VAR era of, before VAR, the referee would have blown, he would have blown for that. He would have panicked and blown and given the free kick and we'd all accept that was a foul and we'd all get on with our lives. Yep, because it was, by the way. I've finally seen an angle which proves it was a foul. He's moved, yeah. into, he's completely st- he's moved his whole body, he's turned his whole body into his way and changed his body shape to obstruct him. Right, it's a foul. But now, because we, we have VAR, the referee won't, will be unsure so he won't give it and they'll look at the replays and they'll decide, well, well there's not loads of contact there so yeah, it's probably not a foul. But it's, it's changed this massive part of of football, like a, a massive part of how particularly set pieces are defended, and now suddenly it feels like it's changed mid-season. I mean, it just feels like uh, this, at the start of the season you were seeing those things being given, and now in the last few weeks, it just feels like for whatever reason, suddenly players are allowed to kind of obstruct goalkeepers at, at set pieces. It's really, really weird. It's re- I was really, really surprised that that goal was given. I mean, obviously that wasn't really my reaction when it happened. Um, yeah, I, I can't really... I mean, Charlie, as a more impartial observer, I'd love to hear your take on this, but I was really amazed by that. And it's not to say, like, in the grand scheme of things, if you take it in isolation, do I think things like that should be foul, foul or not? Maybe not. But on the basis of what we've seen in football over the last 30 years, including earlier this season, that's always been a foul. That's always been given as a foul. Do you know what? I, I thought it was... Um... Here we go. No, I thought it was fairly borderline. Things like that don't... I just find them really tedious. What I thought more was that this is going to get zero sympathy from anyone, but on a broader footballing point, you've got a set of fans who have paid a lot to, and whatever, they've given up their Friday night, they've travelled. James certainly paid a lot. Yeah, bloody hell. I, I, just think it's, I just think it's such shame now in the age of VAR that that was such a vary goal. No one was reacting properly. The City fans are sort of doing that thing you do when you're kind of half celebrating and it's like, oh, yeah, let's kind of pretend we're celebrating, but we also know there's a half, there's a fairly decent chance it's going to get disallowed because it looks scruffy, all the Spurs players are going mad. And it's just like, it's such a flat crap moment that then, you know, like a big away day is about having those amazing moments. And then actually what they're doing is celebrating when Spurs kick off. I just think that's a bit rubbish. Uh, was it a foul? Yeah, maybe. It's borderline. I, I totally agree. It's one where if he gives it as a foul, no way of VAR overturning it. I also think it's partly perception. Like I think some goalkeepers might might have a foul given on them there. If that's Alisson, I do wonder if a ref subconsciously thinks, oh, well, there's no way Alisson would have made a gaffe like that. I'll sort of give a foul. I mean, there, in fact, there was one, wasn't there? There was the one in the, the game, season. Yeah. Exactly yeah. one, yeah. I do think that makes a difference. It looks a bit flappy from Vicario. Well, that's um, that. you hit on the nail, nail on the head there. City had done it all through the game from their numerous free kicks and corners. They had deliberately 
attempted to balk him. Now, that's okay. You're allowed to stand in front of the goalkeeper. They obviously have, have it in their minds. And I've seen it in, in, in some of the previous games. Vicari does lots of things very, very well. He hasn't yet um, uh, developed. Maybe it's a ch to change to a different football here in England. Um, he hasn't yet developed the idea that you've, you've got to bundle these people out of the way. If he goes over the top of the defender and ends up on his ass rolling around on the floor like he's injured, then he will disallow it. They will disallow yeah. it. Yeah, but... As we've said, City are the masters at winning fouls um, and uh, not being punished specifically. And you think back, I'm pretty sure the intelligent CUNTSs that Mourinho said was at halftime of the uh, City game in that season where Spurs won. And he was saying, talking about City, what they do, they are very, very smart at being nasty, basically. They know how to you know, to get those sort of 50-50s. And I do think, you know, winning fouls, those sort of, there, there are ways to do that. And maybe that's just, you know, a learning curve. Can I just, I, I'm going to throw another thing into the mix now. And this isn't like a massive whinge, though it is a thing that I've noticed in a few games and it has actually annoyed me quite a lot. And I, I need to see the whole thing back again to see whether this was actually a factor in what happened at the end of the game. But I reckon it might be. Spurs conceded a lot of corners towards the end of that game, like like kind of four or five, more or less in a row. They were like properly penned in, and it was part of that Hoiberg bit where he lost his head, and they gave the ball away loads and whatever. But at every single corner, Spurs are defending. They put every single player back in the box. They don't leave anyone up. Mm. And I've never seen, uh, to my memory, a team defend with every player in the box at every corner at every point of every game. And like if they're winning 1-0 or 2 whatever at the end of a game like that, then maybe it's a little bit different. Who is the set-piece coach these days? I think it's Ryan Mason, isn't well, it? Ryan, I believe Mason it's Ryan does. Mason for attacking set-pieces and yeah. Mille Yedlinak oh. for defensive set-pieces, I believe. That's what I understand okay. after, after Manchester United. So, look, the blame is uh, at <laughs> his door. I wouldn't say that because he seems pretty terrifying. What about some some positives um, of Mashalison's uh, uh, work rate? They all worked hard. I think that, that you've got to be give them credit for that. Um, and Van der Ven, thankfully, looked like he had not been away. Is that fair? I thought Van der Ven and Udogi were were really really good. They were the ones who stood out uh, for me. There were a few times Udogi, you know, was tracking back. There was one of Foden where he tracked back and just shoved him over. Thought he looked really good. Yeah, Van der Ven slotted straight back in. Um, I mean, it's it's one of the you you frame it the positive. You give the team the benefit of the doubt, I think, because they have shown a lot of improvement and you know the right attitudes. I'm sure you know if 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 that's uh, if they lose that game under Mourinho or Conte and they have 0.25 xg to 2.35 or whatever it is and get battered by all the stats, you're probably saying we've we've shown a lack of ambition. But uh, I thought they tried. I think ultimately. They just, yeah, they they were up against a team that were a lot better than them. Who, who, by the way, could bring on when when City needed a goal, they could bring on Doku and De Bruyne and ne not bring on hundred million pound Jack Grealish. When Spurs needed a goal, they brought on Dane Scarlett. So there are clearly there is still a gap there between the two teams, especially when Spurs are missing key players. I would say it was kind of eighty percent of the way to being like an incredibly, incredibly good performance against Manchester City. Like a lot of what they needed to do, they did. It was just one or two, and that feels daft given they didn't really have a proper shot. But there just one or two things that weren't quite right in the whole makeup of the team that meant that didn't happen. Charlie, we'll, we'll end this uh, this bit uh, by saying that you've actually written a piece in The Athletic about 
How important is that Spurs are out of the FA Cup? Or the importance of it, should I say? Well, the significance of it? Well, I guess it's more just like it's, it's going to be an incredibly short season for Spurs. It's 41 games. Um, they obviously had 40 in 05, 06. By the way, Charlie famously predicted that Spurs might have a 40-game season in uh, in August. When they I know, I did. In the Cup. Yeah, I said, and you respond, I'll try and dig that out. And you responded <laughs> okay. with something like, fuck off. Um, well, you were, you were wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. You yeah. were one game out. Well, I was a one Miserable. game out. But bear in mind, in the in the previous few seasons, Spurs have been playing, you know, I think, yeah, so the previous five, 50, 54, 58, 52, and 58. You know, that's what they're used to. This is really short. And all the rivals that are, the, the, the four teams above them, are most of them are competing in three competitions, Liverpool four, Arsenal two. But yeah, but I average that out there in three. So, you know, Spurs have far fewer games. There's no excuse now, I don't think, for them not to really kick on. And, you know, especially their next five games, four of them are at home. The highest placed team they'll play is Brighton, who are seventh. They've got, in that run, they've got Brentford at home. They've got Wolves at home. They've got Palace at home. Everton away. Brighton at home. That's, they've got a platform now with no distractions. And this isn't me saying good to be out of the FA Cup. Not at all. I think they should absolutely be able to, you know, they're not even in Europe. They should be able to manage a FA Cup run and uh, the league. But it's more just saying, well, okay, they need to turn this into a positive. And I guess... You know, some people, the, the viewers generally will better to play City now in a way because either you knock out one of the favourites or, you know, you free up your resources a little bit. So let's see. But, I mean, there's no getting away from the fact that it is another early cup exit and unless they win the league, it's another year without a trophy. Yes, uh, I think I started. Sorry with... to remind you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. It's good that we indeed. Got back to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought you were being a bit chirpy, so just to remind. Yeah, you. No, so being, I was getting, I was, I was getting over it, wasn't I? Listen, we'll have a break and then we'll come back and um, we'll talk about other people's experiences rather than mine of watching that game um, and preview the game against Brentford. That, as Charles just outlined, now um, with the FA Cup out of the way. Um, was always important and now becomes, in my mind, really important. Uh, you're listening to The View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, welcome back everybody to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today are uh, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. We're talking about uh, my experience at the top uh, James, uh, you, having had a fantastic ticket fiasco, ended up with a ticket, um, you can tell us where it was on the ground in a second, which cost, we were afraid to even mention the actual cost here on the on the, on the program, um, but you, you had a different seat. Tell us about your experience. Was it worth the fantastic amount of money you paid for it? Uh, uh, first of all, I'm aware this is very much first world problems, so I, I'm, not, I, I'm not completely insulated from that. Uh, Probably not worth it, to be completely honest. I don't know. I, I, you know, I had some very nice, uh, you know, lamb kofta and falafel and whatever. It was all very nice. I had to pay for a Coke Zero, which seemed wow. mad given I had to pay so much. So the, the zero referred to the calories, <laughs> not the price, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the number of goals Spurs scored. Yeah, I, I, I found it quite... Like, I mean, if this isn't a criticism of people who go and sit down, I should say, by the way, when I was in there, one of our listeners did uh, kind of collar me and say... He had the podcast. It's always nice to hear. So it was good to go, if only for that. So thank you to that guy. Where were you exactly? Where? As you watch on TV on the far side, kind of more or less on the halfway line, which uh, it's not quite uh, Wembley in terms of people never being at their seats during the game, but it did kind of feel like there were a lot of people there who weren't massively fussed. There were definitely a few people who were kind of slyly City fans, which reluctantly you kind of have to accept it and not doing anything too over the top so fair enough but it just kind of felt like there was so much indifference to the game there and I feel like when I'm in my normal position quite close to the pitch because I'm close to the pitch I can affect the game you can influence things you can yeah. you can but I can I, I can uh, I, you know I'm going to mention a thing and people who sit where I sit or stand where I stand I should say will know what I'm talking about there's a guy <laughs> near me who goes down to the corner flag when the opposition take a corner and like says weird stuff to the people taking a corner about like them having tiny feet like it gets in their head and it quite often I don't think a player has scored uh, the opposition team has scored from a corner from that side for the, in the whole time so it's Miller Yadinak and your mate this guy, he's not my mate they're, they're, not my mate. they're to thank but he's, he's getting in people's heads and he's, he's oh, doing Charlie, a good don't job don't mock if, uh, for years my seat was right near the touchline on the halfway line um, in, just in front of the press box and um I'm pretty convinced that I coached Danny Rose from being a bang average defender <laughs> to being a better one. I told you about this. I'm absolutely I've told you about this thing before. I right? knew you were going to mention that. But James, it's, yeah. honestly, yeah. it's completely true. But to repeat it very briefly, Asuokoto never knew when a winger was an inverted winger, so we had to tell him every time, Damien Duff every time. <laughs> and in terms of Danny, I, had to, I, play, I played full-back on Hackney Marsh, so I know what I'm talking about. I would say to Danny, get inside him, not out. He relied on his pace to get him back round the player. Get just stand inside him. And eventually, the penny dropped, and he started to do it. And I take full credit for that, and for his England caps uh, that followed. Um, we should talk about the transfer window first of all, Charlie. Again, um, uproar on social media on the on the socials. 
about a player that most people have never heard of 10 days ago going to Brentford. A decision, I think, that makes perfect sense for him because he will get games at Brentford, which he, he wouldn't have done if he can't suppose. Talking about Noosa, of course. Yeah, another one to add to my Traore on a slot. Um, was quite far down the line doing a piece on... I've spoken to former players and coaches of his. Thankfully, though, I did that kind of the knowledge if it wasn't Spurs there would be a Premier League team he'd join um, and I could feed into so if, yeah if you follow Brentford I'll be uh, I'll be appearing on the Athletics Brentford feed and a few pieces probably in the next week but uh, yeah I mean conversations with people sort of back end of last week because it had gone a bit cold I got the sense that it was a deal Spurs wanted to do obviously they really like the player I think there's a lot of potential but it was dragging on, and I think there was a fear. Do you remember last year there was the Mudrick um, saga, and it, and it got to it, and it got to a point where I think you had to take a step back and say this is a lot of money for a player who hasn't played a huge amount. Now, obviously, Noosa has uh, is is a lot less money than that was, but we're still talking about thirty odd million euros, and it's a funny one because that's the kind of money that if Noosa comes and is really really good. That money is absolutely nothing, and you'd never hear about it. In fact, the only way you'd hear about it is in that, well, that was an absolute steal. But there are loads of really good players aged 18, and it's not a guarantee they'll necessarily kick on and fulfil their potential. And and, there, and in that case, I think some fans would be saying, well, why have we spent €30 million Euros on potential when you know, the here and now needs improving? So I think, yeah, it got to a point where that you know they were only going to go so high, and for Brentford, um, you know, it sounds like Brentford have been very, very good in the way they sold their project and how many minutes he's going to play. I think Spurs, you know, couldn't really have said in good faith that, no, no, I know you're only 18 and we've got Son and uh, these other players, but yeah, you'll come straight into the team. They couldn't do that. So, but it'll be fascinating. I mean, look, I've, I've watched I watched quite a lot of him and he does, he does look really exciting. Of course he does, but he's playing at... Um, a level a lot lower so we, we don't know but I, I am excited to see him in the Premier League he, do, he does look like a real talent just a shame he, he won't be turning out for Spurs and I guess the other thing obviously the question I asked straight away after seeing this news was well does this mean they'll go for someone else the sense I've been given is it, th- this wasn't this wasn't like the centre-back or the, for, the sort of forward who can come in now that was an absolute must do this window this was more an opportunity came up they really liked the player and there was a possibility to do it as you know more one for the future he'd go back on loan so it's not like they're like oh we haven't got news so we need to go out and spend 30 million euros on another 18 year old it's not like that so which may be disappointing maybe some people think oh well, it won't be news it'll be someone else but we know midfield is you know f- for the right now more of a priority given they have already got Werner in for the rest of this season well, I take that. So let's say we're not going to get uh, an Xbox for Christmas. Are we going to get a PlayStation? Are we going to get Tracy Island? Um, the one for the teenagers there. Um, Charlie, <laughs> uh, do you sense that they will do any more business out or in? Um, well, they, those two things could be linked because a Hoybier permanent departure could make it easier to bring in a midfielder themselves. But Hoybier so far, as with the summer, has just been a case of no one putting up the the money that Spurs want, you know, trying to do loans that Spurs don't want unless there's an obligation. Uh, and then, I mean, we've reported this morning an interest in Jacob Ramsey. 
which would be an amazing signing. I mean, that would be a, an expensive one, but Villa need the money for FFP. So that's one to keep an eye on. There's Conor Gallagher as well, but the sense is, again, FF, you know, sign, sign of the times, but that's going to be, you know, certainly Pochettino doesn't want him to leave to leave Chelsea. I, I wouldn't be, I think both without goings and incomings, there will be a flurry of activity towards the end of the window. Whether that means deals actually happen, that's another question. But we saw at the end of the last window, there was that late flurry when it looked like, oh, maybe Hoybier's going to go out and Gallagher's going to come in. In the end, it didn't quite happen. But I think a lot of, like, those are the kind of deals we've said throughout. They're, when they're removing parts, often those ones are the ones that don't happen straight away, that you need to wait until the end and everyone sees kind of, well, how desperate are we to bring in Hoybier or whatever it is? Uh, and, and there's Brian Hill as well who may go. So those are the ones to keep an eye on. James, if, if it ends up that we've got 10 people, I mean, I've actually made an 11, 11 people out on loan, let's say Hill goes as well, and we end up with Timo Werner um, and Dragosheen, uh, will you be happy with the transfer window? Because you're our transfer window guru, uh, having that, got it right that, in the last is, two transfer windows. That is true. Um, yeah, it's probably. I mean, you'd probably say those are the two things, as, as, kind of, as Charlie kind of suggested. Those were the two things that they really needed to do in this window. So I suppose it would come down to how well you expect Timo Werner or how well he actually does perform over the course of the season. I mean, if Werner does anything better than fine, then you'd probably say it's been a good window. We talk about players coming back. The African Cup of Nations continues apace. Um, very good fun, the tournament this time round, partially because of the conditions. And at least one of Saar and Basuma will be back soon because, assuming they both win their round of 16 games, Mali and Senegal, they will meet. So one of them has to come out. If we had to choose one uh, to come back, because they, they, they are due to meet in the quarterfinal, um, which one would you like to see back first, James? I mean, definitely perhaps Saar. I mean, on the basis of how uh, their respective performances this season, I think, have been, I mean, maybe not quite chalk and cheese because Basuma was good at the start, but Saar's performance levels are probably, and he's probably basically got better over the course of the season. And Basuma's definitely kind of dropped off since that spell where he kept missing games through suspension and whatever else. So, yeah, you would say Saar, but unfortunately, I suspect he's going to be gone until the very end of a tournament. I mean, Senegalic, from what I've seen of that tournament, Senegalic had in shoulders the best the best team at that tournament. They look like the only one of the kind They're of... They're playing Ivory Coast, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, but Ivory Coast have been pretty pretty iffy and scraped through the group. But, I know, but... Yeah, look, they basically looked like they'd got out and then progressively went up that third place table over the course of the next four yeah. hours and ended up going through somehow. They, they were so out, they sacked the coach yeah. and then qualified. I mean, maybe, maybe they'll suddenly... Maybe they'll suddenly be really good. I mean, that would be great if if Saar could play at the weekend. That would be superb. I, we, we should, I mean, we shouldn't really be wishing like poor fortune on our own players either. Really, you know, we should we should want them to do well. well. No, you can hope he gets a hat trick, but they lose four three. Well, that, that maybe that wouldn't be consolation for him. But the but, but there's, a, there's a very real possibility on the basis of how bad South Korea have been in in the Asian Cup. Yeah, that Son and probably assume we're back for the weekend. Um, between now and then, there is the small matter of another game at White Hart Lane Wednesday night. Um, Spurs at home to Brentford um, what do we expect an unchanged team or would you start Madison Charlie come on Charlie probably yeah you'd hope that that sort of 20 odd minutes or whatever he had means he can start this game who does he replace I would probably I would take out one of Johnson or Werner move Kudusevsky into the front three um, 
yeah, that's that's what I would do. Out of Werner and John, I don't, I I might stick with Werner. I feel, and especially as he's more comfortable on the left, then play Kulusevski on the right. Madison comes in, but I might also replace Hoybier with Skip and play yeah. Benzinger as the six. Um, I think I'm back in the same team as Charlie. There you go. Oh wow! Well, there you go. So the usual back five. We have yeah, everyone's then Benzinger six, Madison and Skip, um, Kudelski on the right, Werner on the left, Richardson through the middle. And it's interesting because at Brentford was the first game, obviously, of the season of the Postecoglou era. It came, the, you know, Kane had just left. No one really knew what to expect. It was kind of that madcap first half. Emerson Royale started ahead of Porro. Skip started ahead of Saar. Um, and it was, uh, you know, Brentford were very good that day obviously they've now got Ivan Tony as well but I mean they they probably would have wanted an FA Cup they didn't have a game over the weekend but they probably would have wanted one so that Tony could just get a bit more match sharp um, so interested to see what kind of shape he's in they've got I, I think I'm right in saying Embuemo is still out yeah, yeah. He? he's had that he is. Whatever, hamstring whatever it was that injury he had I know his knee wasn't it maybe well, he's injured and uh, because because uh, Democratic Republic of Congo went through last night in the AFCON. No whistler either. So, I mean, those are three very good forward players that they usually have, and they only have Tony. So, maybe that's something. I think it is. I think that's big, yeah. And without putting too much pressure on every single football match, um, this is part of the run of four out of five home games, Charlie, you referred to, um, where Spurs could, if all goes well, start rattling up, you know, points towards getting north of two points per game yeah I mean it was interesting as well uh, I think again just from watching the highlights back the ITV in their commentary said you know and that's the end of silverware chance of silverware for Spurs this season obviously Ange before the United game talked about them being in the title race they're eight points behind Liverpool uh, I don't know I think the next five games though whether that I guess we'll have a sense won't we if they can win all those five close the gap Liverpool and Arsenal play each other next weekend um, I think this will I guess we'll have a good sense after the next five games of what the rest of Spurs' season what the target is is it top four is it something higher are they looking over their shoulder I wouldn't have thought so given that run I mean West Ham are five points behind them so they've still got a decent buffer well you can counterbalance that with a run in April where they play all the top, the teams that are yeah. currently in the top four but I do think that was other, fun. like they? a lot of people when Spurs were doing well were kind of throwing that at Spurs and being like but you've got this run and it's as if it was kind of like a bad draw I mean everyone is going to have to play <laughs> like, yeah. no, no, they will get right. other. of course they will also then have an easy run as well but it's kind of presented as like oh there's no way you can possibly do well this league because you will have to play these teams what I'd say about that run is if they put themselves in a position where they do well up to that point and that obviously includes these five games you just mentioned then if they do well in the run before that they'll probably be looking up rather than down in terms of like they're not going to get caught up a top four or five so then actually that becomes like an opportunity to do something absolutely crazy and also all of those games there is a week between them so it's not like they're going to be going bouncing from you know City to Liverpool within a few days and so I don't think there's necessarily anything that says it's harder as long as you've got the week gap that it's necessarily harder to play a run of hard teams. But you're both great believers in this week off between games, aren't you? Well, it's Conte. Conte, that's, you know, his his message was always how important that was. And you know how much we trust what him. What a great manager yeah. he turned out to be. And he did us a massive favour by not getting into Europe last season. <laughs> Cheers, yeah, Antonio. That is his great legacy. Fourth when he was sacked, disclaimer. 
wasn't sacked. Another disclaimer. Sorry, Danny, go on. Yeah, please. Charlie, by all means, get all your legal disclaimers out. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Steve, both of you. That's been a, I really enjoyed that kind of circuitous ramble around everything that happened in that game against Manchester City. Um, and you've made me feel better about my own world as well. So thank you both very, very much indeed. Thank you again to everybody who's already voted for us in this blinking award thing that I'm now obsessed with defending. Please, if you haven't, um, go and vote. Uh, you can see how to do it at my Twitter feed or at the uh, VFTL um, podcast feed on Twitter. Um, Has it got and, you thinking, Danny, about how few awards you might have left to win in your life? Do, do you know what, Charlie? There's, the, the, the ones I have won are starting to really threaten the shelving. So I probably, you know, that part of I can do without, you know. Win-win then. Uh, absolutely. Um, so go and vote. And if you know anybody who's uh, under your supervision or over whom you have any kind of blackmail hold or who you could just bully, by all means, make them vote as well. Stand over them and make sure they do. Uh, just to remind you, the show has got its own official home on Twitter at VFTL Podcast, which is where you can go and vote. Or you can email us with your views on things at VFTL at theathletic.com. It goes without saying um, that all the best Spurs coverage anywhere is on The Athletic, and you can take advantage of our latest offer of just £1.99 a month for 12 months. Simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod subscribe. Uh, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, James. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back, I suspect, on Thursday. And hopefully Spurs will have put three points in the bank and lifted um, my slightly gloomy mood. But I've changed now because I've really enjoyed the podcast. Hope you have too. Bless you all. Bye. The Athletic.